So how many, uh, maybe by a show of hands here, how many people, how many people had COVID, got COVID? Ooh, a little bit more here, okay. Uh, yeah, I did too. The other masses, it was not, not as many. Um, I got it in uh, January. And it was never really too bad. I have a couple of headache, headache for a couple of days. That was it, never a fever or anything. So uh, I remember like kind of right away saying to myself, okay, I'm gonna be locked down here now for two weeks or whatever it was, 10 days, I guess. Uh, and I'm really not feeling that bad. So let me, you know, let me be productive during this period. Um, and I knew, what I, I knew what I needed to do. Um, it was kind of three things that I wanted to focus on. One was to, to just read more. Uh, there's a bunch of books that I'm thinking, I'm always thinking I should be reading and I never really get to. So reading more, praying more, could always do more of that. And I'm taking guitar lessons and I figured, let me just practice more. Again, I got all this time, nobody's gonna be around. So read, pray, and practice. That was kind of my, my plan. Um, but I really just watched a lot of TV, in all honesty. Um, I, I really kind of failed in all three categories. Um, and it wasn't even like, well, it was just like sort of mindless TV, just clicking around. And, um, but at any rate, one night I was doing just that, you know, bored out of my mind. And I had uh, went to Turner Classic Movies and... Uh, it was, they were advertising that it was uh, like a, this Lee Marvin marathon. Um, it must have been his birthday or something. Those of you not old enough, he was this guy, an actor who was pretty big, pretty big, I think, in the, in the certainly the 60s, probably the, the late 50s, the 60s, the 70s. A lot of kind of action movies more than anything else. Um, anyway, that night at 8 o'clock, uh, the Dirty Dozen was going to be on. And again, if you're old enough, you probably remember it. Um, kind of a fun movie. I had seen it a bunch of times, or at least bits and pieces of it many times. More of kind of a guy movie, I guess. Great cast, a lot of, a lot of actors from the 1960s. And um, anyway, the story, if you don't know it, it's kind of based on a true story. Um, World War II, uh, the Allies are getting ready for D-Day. And there's this like pre-D-Day mission that they wanna accomplish. Uh, there's this resort somewhere where these, uh, they know these German officers are staying. So they wanna, they wanna go in and, and basically take out all of these officers. And the thinking is they'll be so disrupted by that will be even more effective when D-Day happens, which was gonna be in a couple of weeks. But it's a total, total suicide, really like a suicide mission. The, um, they're gonna be dropped completely behind enemy lines and chance of survival is very minimal. Um, so, you know, how do you get a bunch of people to agree to a suicide mission? What they do is they, they reach out to these prisoners, these uh, army, they're in the army, but they've committed pretty awful crimes, mostly murder, murderers and just terrible stuff. So they're in jail, they're in a military prison, and they're all like, got like either life sentences or, or literally death sentences. 
So they're not going anywhere. Uh, so they appeal to these, these guys and they say, hey, would you be willing to go on this mission? And if you do, we'll take a look at your, your sentence. Maybe we'll, we'll make it a little bit less. So it's this group of kind of like low-life thugs, this dirty dozen. Uh, Lee Marvin plays the uh, army major. His job is to kind of whip them into shape. And uh, anyway, that's kind of in the movie is them training and then ultimately this mission. It's not really a great movie, but it was kind of a fun, a fun movie. It was definitely very popular when it came out. You know what I find? Maybe some of you do this. When I'm watching a movie that I'm sort of half watching, you know, I'm kind of interested. I find myself, I'll get on my phone and I'll start to like Wikipedia lots of things. Like I'll, I'll be like, yeah, Lee Marvin. So I'll like Wikipedia Lee Marvin. I'll just kind of like figure out like what was his story? Like what was his life? Where was he from? And you know, some of the movies he was in or Jim Brown was in the cast. He was the great football player, uh, great running back. Uh, I remember checking him out and then, you know, it's, looking up all these football stats and you can kind of get lost in it almost like you just go from one person or whatever it is you're looking up and then one to the next to the next like an hour later you're like how did I get where I'm, I'm going how did I get where I am just so checking out this stuff um, you know what I notice at least I notice this when it's famous people um, they'll kind of have they break down their life in these little categories. They'll go uh, early life, you know, where the person was from, where they went to school. Uh, then they'll do the career, whatever it was that made them famous. There'll usually be a little chapter on their death, how they died. If it's an actor, it'd be like the filmography, the list of movies they made. If it was an athlete, it's, you know, the Super Bowls they were in, the records, their stats. But there's another category, and this is kind of my point, that's interesting, it's, it's called, it says personal life. And that's where you learn a little bit about really their family. Specifically, it's usually like who they were married to. And sadly, when you're talking about these Hollywood, these actors, so often it's like multiple, so often multiple marriages. Once in a while you get the exception, some famous person was married just once for all these years, that's totally the exception. And what I also noticed, at least I think this is what's going on, it's like if you kind of, you can almost track it. Most of them married, got married way before they were famous. So the person they married certainly wasn't famous. But then they hit it big. They're in this movie or they're on this team, but really more the, the, the Hollywood thing. They've become big, they've become famous, celebrity has exploded kind of in their, in their lives. And if you look at it, it's like they were married before they were famous and then usually shortly after they hit it big, they divorce and they marry somebody else. And then sometimes it's somebody after that and somebody after that. But this I think, and again, I'm kind of speculating here, but it's almost like did hitting it big corrupt them? Did fame kind of shift their perspective, their values? Did power, did money lead them away from who they really were? Kind of like the, 
the core of who they were? Did they just turn their back on it and the people in their lives because they found these other interesting alternatives? I think in a way it's sort of this gospel. If I'm right about that, I think it's this gospel, this great image that Jesus gives us. And he's basically saying, well, it's this vine and the branches image, and it's pretty much this. God is the vine, God is the the trunk, God is the foundation, and we're all the branches. We're not as important, like, no vine, no branches. We extend out. And on a certain level, that's a good thing. God gives us the freedom, and I would probably say even encourages us to kind of branch out. But don't go too far. And don't forget. Don't forget about the vine and who the vine is. Because as soon as you start thinking, yeah, you don't need the vine. You can do this on your own. That's when things usually go south. That's when you start to see these and that little personal life section. Oh, wow, the mess marriage ended and another marriage ended. And because we begin to think we're bigger than we are and we lose sight of truth. It's a clear warning in the gospel. Don't lose sight of the vine, of the trunk. If you go too far, it's not going to end well. You're going to have regrets. Don't go too far from God, from the truth of God. If you do, you're going to lose yourself. I mean, we all do it, don't we? I mean, hopefully not in terrible, radical ways, but I think every time we sin on some level, it's us saying, I'm going to do what I want. I know what God wants. I know what's true, but I'm just not really looking to do that or be that way right now. I want what I want, and I'm going to pursue it. And that is away from the vine, not toward the vine. He says, remain in me. A couple of times, remain in me. Stay close. You know, I had this conversation recently with a woman in the parish, and she was talking, we were talking about faith, we were talking about faith and families, and kind of like, you know, how do you keep your kids God-centered? How do you keep your kids going to church or your grandkids? Or if they're not, kind of how do you get them back? And we're kind of talking about that. It's a very common question. And then she said to me, how about your family, my family? She said, how about, like, tell me about your parents, she said. And she kind of, you know, I, I talk sometimes up here about my family, so a little bit of it, she had a little bit of a sense of where I'm from, I guess. And, but she was like, how, what was your mom and dad's faith like? And I thought, well, for me, it was a great question. I was so happy to think about it and then respond to her and now to you. And it was, it was really kind of this. I think my, I feel like my parents, uh, first of all, it was both. It was my mom and my dad who had real faith. It wasn't the same faith. It wasn't like they were clones of each other. They lived it out not exactly the same, but they absolutely both, like, being here was important to both. It wasn't just my mom or my dad. It was both. And I think that's huge. I think it's when only one person is sort of 
driving that bus, it usually doesn't, you know, it goes off the road. So, so one thing was just like both were, both were there. And the other thing was they were kind of balanced. Like it wasn't, it wasn't constant God talk. But sometimes we can get like God crazy. You ever meet people like that? It's like enough. Like all they talk about is God. Like, like how about some balance, right? Like everything doesn't have to be about church. Everything doesn't have to be about God. And I just feel like they were that way, like they were, they were balanced. It wasn't over the top. And here's the last thing. They were like ridiculously consistent. And what I mean by that is this. They never, we never missed mass. Like it just wasn't, like it wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. And listen, I'm not saying I had the greatest family of all time and I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just describing mine. I'm not, I, I'm telling you, they weren't perfect. I mean, no family was perfect. One family was perfect. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. They got it right. They nailed it. Everybody since, we're all banged up. None of us, none of us does this. No families do it all right and all perfectly. So like, that's number one. I'm just telling you kind of my experience and what I think kind of worked. And this just idea that like, man, like, it's just, we had to be here. I got tickets to a Met game and it's gonna be, you know, uh, well, I guess a Met game wouldn't be on Sunday morning, but I got something that's gonna make it impossible to be mass on Sunday morning. And I was like, what, boom, and we went Saturday night. Or I got a job, I got a job, and I'm working over at the mall, great. Well, one way or another, you gotta get to mass. Like, you can't, working at Abercrombie <laughs> isn't gonna get you to heaven. Like, you gotta figure it out. You gotta find an hour somewhere between Sunday, Saturday night and, and Sunday night. And anyway, it was just vacations. Like, it just wasn't, it seems to me like when you, when you create excuses to not be here, when we do that, it's like we kick the door open a little bit. And inevitably, we just kick it open wider because we just come up with more excuses. And I'm very grateful that that wasn't an option. I mean, hey, at a certain point, we were adults, like my parents were gonna, were gonna make us go. But for a lot of years, we didn't really have a choice. And I look at back at now, like when I was 15, it was sort of a pain. But as an adult, man, I'm grateful forever for exactly that. You know, I think what my parents did, their action, it was, it was sort of this gospel. It was like, hey, listen, we just can't, you can't go too far from Jesus. You can't branch out too far. So, like, we always got to be nearby. We always got to be at Mass. And they didn't even say that. It was just sort of, it was their actions expressed it. We had First Communions here yesterday kids from the school, and it was just great. I mean, our First Communion's the best. They're just, I love them. Everybody loves them. The, kid, the kids are just so, like, crazy cute, and the girls and their dresses, and the boys are like, their shirts are hanging out. The mass hasn't even started, and their shirts are hanging out under their, like, they're just, they're so cute, and they're so open to kind of hearing what you gotta say, 
The parents are so proud, grandparents are beaming. It's like just the church at its best in some respects. But you know what's tough about First Communions? Uh, from my perspective, preaching about it. Like how do you tell a seven-year-old about transubstantiation? Like how do you tell a seven-year-old like, yeah, you know, the body and there's bread and the wine and the body, but I mean, it's like we're adults and we have a tough time with it. So trying to be creative and understandable. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a first communion and I, I started to talk to the kids and I said to them, hey, do any of you guys know what a, an EpiPen is or an Epi, EpiPen is? Boom, like every hand went up. Like they all knew, I couldn't believe it. And I guess they, they all had classmates or sibling or whatever who have allergies, like serious allergies. So you keep this pen by you in case you, you know, peanut allergy or whatever it is. I mean, that could be like horribly serious. And God forbid you and you, you come, you know, that, that happens, you know, this helps you, this calms the reaction. Could save your life. So the point I said to these kids was, you know, I think Jesus is sort of like the ultimate EpiPen. It's like you need him. You need him by your side. Like you can't go any, we're crazy to go anywhere without him. You, if you've got a, uh, a, uh, an allergy, you can't forget the EpiPen. You've got to bring it with you. Because terrible stuff could happen if, you, if, you don't, if it's not nearby. Same thing with Jesus. I mean, okay, my throat's not going to close up if I miss Mass on a Sunday. And, you know, I'm not going to break out in hives if I don't say my prayers tonight. But over time, consistently distancing myself from Him, not good things are going to happen. It's this vine and the branches thing. Like, we just can't drift. And it's so easy to drift. There's so much out there that tempts us, that competes with being here. You know, the movie I was telling you about, The Dirty Dozen, um, it's kind of interesting. One of the things I did like about it, watching the whole thing this time, was like, it was kind of like some redemption in it. Like these guys were terrible. This dirty dozen. They were horrible, kind of ugly people. But throughout the course of this movie, they started to change. Not all of them. Some of them remained bad guys, but most didn't. Most started to become less self-absorbed. Some of them sacrificed for others by the end of it. A number of them died by, in the course of this fight. Like they were given a second chance. They had death sentences. People were done with them and they were given this second shot. And that is our faith. You know, we hear from Paul in the first reading. Interesting, it says this when St. Paul, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. You bet they were afraid of him for good reason because he was terrorizing them. He was persecuting them. He was a nightmare. He was like the Dirty Dozen character. And that's the one. He's the one that God chooses. Man, of all the people out there that God could have said, I need you to become one of my great leaders. He picks this guy with that record, with that past. 
He gives him a second shot and he becomes a hero, legend, saint. And he was a terrible guy in chapter one. I mean, that's the way God is. We do drift. We do branch too far. Man, but there is always the opportunity back. I was watching this interview with, an old interview now with Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Cash. And he was always talking about, especially at the end of his life, about redemption. A couple of, couple of great songs about just that. People who had terrible regrets but were kind of experienced redemption. This is what he says here about regret. He said, you build on failure. I think we should build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you also don't dwell on them. You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. Don't let it define you. And return to the vine. Return to the vine. It's this gospel. Return to the vine. Read, pray, practice. Return to the vine.